What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Matt Chernoff from 680 The Fans, Chuck and Chernoff Show here. And I want to say thanks for listening to today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. You can find it on Apple, Spotify, and all your favorite podcast apps. Chase Thomas went to Parkview in North Georgia. He's a local Atlanta kid, and he won't let the Luca versus Trey thing go. He interned with us back in the day, and you'll always remember him. Anyway, definitely go check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com where you can find all of Chase's previous episodes, all of his articles, and do him a solid. Leave him a rating and review if you're an Apple Podcast listener. Reminder to listen to our show, Chuck and Chernoff, Monday through Friday, 3 to 7 on 680 The Fan, and subscribe to my podcast as well. Welcome to Atlanta, wherever you get your podcasts. Chase Thomas Podcast. The Chase Thomas Podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, welcome back to a Tuesday evening edition of the Chase Thomas Podcast. Front office lows, Carlos Medina, old friend from Cicada the Fan, is here. Carlos, good evening, sir. How are you? I feel like if this was the Sunday night edition, then it would be the you know A-level person, the really interesting conversation. I kind of feel like I got thrown into like the Tuesday night lineup on like <laughs> the late show, where it's like, well, he might have some interesting stuff to say, or it might be a little bit boring. But regardless, uh, as I was joking around on Twitter, it's always good to jump on your podcast. It's a, it's a smart one. It's entertaining out there. Well, I appreciate that. And there's, there's no problem with the midweek. The midweek, I get MLB, I get Atlanta, I do college football, like... Like, uh, wrestling is towards the end of the week. Mondays, my <laughs> NBA when I do NBAs on Mondays. Like, there's just there, you know. And then Friday, I'm doing the sports reporters um, with Jay McManus and Andrew Hammond. Like, you know, it, there's oh, no okay. bad, there's no good day. There's no perfect oh. day. I enjoy every day. Every day is equal. Oh. Okay, I, I just wanted to make sure because you know, whenever you ask me, I realize, all right, we're gonna have a discussion about things all over the place. I mean, we'll go NFL, college football, NBA, what's going on in the world. And so I just want to make sure your Tuesday audience is, is ready for this. We're about to, we're about to give them the good stuff. Exactly. It's very conversational. Like I have a sheet in front of me, but like ultimately I, we can bounce around. We've known each other for a long time. I think it's, it's fine. I'm on board, whatever you feel like, wherever you want to start, big man, it's up to you. (laughs) I honestly, this isn't even on my show sheet, but I want to ask you, do you have any kind of notes before you do the audio fun bag podcast with Hoyt? Uh, I would guess we have no, based on we have like a to. general idea. Yeah. Okay. It, it, okay. So the idea ends up being like this. And that's not a shot, by the way. I enjoy the no, podcast. no, no. It, yes. the The idea of that entire podcast initially started with we're going to talk some sports and then we're going to do a lot of weird stuff and and a lot of comedy. Now it's turned more into. We have a general idea of what's going to happen that you, you ever, you ever, uh, you know, you have something to go on in your day and you go, man, I got to bring that up in the podcast, but you don't write anything down. You just have it in your mind. It's going to get in there. It's that same concept of this weird thing happened to me. This strange thing. My daughter did. This is a weird thing. My wife did. Let me just file that away. And I'm going to randomly spring it on you because with Hoyt, if we talk about it beforehand, it's not going to be as funny and we're not going to explore each other and what happened the same way. You know, it sounds sexual in nature, but we're, we're going to be like, wait a minute. So your wife did what? And that's how the conversation kind of gets going with that thing. And so there, there's there's an idea of what we want to do, maybe a note or two, but there's nothing extensive. OK, there you go. But it's good. It sounds good. Well, thank you. And I like the Dumb and Dumber ending sound. Like, I don't know why, <laughs> but like. I'm convinced that it's off the soundtrack because I've watched that movie like a billion times and I'm 99% certain that it's, it's off the soundtrack, but I could be wrong. Um, how do you feel about the MLB's restart plan? Like as I'm, I'm assuming you've perused everything on this front of like what their plan is, uh, the cardboard cutouts that fans are going to be able to pay to bring in. Um, good for Oakland. Yes, that it, it is good for Oakland. Um, how do you feel about it? I am lukewarm on this entire thing because I, I, and I've said this before on the air uh, during Chuck and Chernoff this week, major league baseball is perhaps the most rigid sport out there. The NFL can, can kind of go with the flow. They'll figure things out. They'll make it happen. The NBA, we're seeing them 
go to an extensive amount of planning. The UFC decided we're going to go halfway around the world and go fight in the United Arab Emirates on Fight Island. Uh, Golf has found ways to do this. Major League Baseball is the most rigid group with the lack of uh, imagination, and you have what permeates the entire sport, which is baseball traditionalists. I don't know if they can mentally handle when there are tests involved and then guys have to fill protocol. One of the things I can say with with all honesty and experience, playing baseball to the level that I did, and I, I finished off as a college baseball player, there's a mentality that you have to have playing baseball in order to be successful, and it is I'm bulletproof, and no matter what happened today, I'm right. I'll be good tomorrow. That mentality makes it really hard to take direct orders and protocols and live up to that responsibility because that's what it's going to require. And that, that's why I'm that's why I'm concerned about Major League Baseball. Yeah, and you know what? I was talking um, yesterday about this with Jeff Siegel of Early Bird Rights, and the NBA is going to have this nice thing where I do believe that the bubble idea is going to be the safest. And that them playing at the same time as MLB and MLS doing what they're doing. Like, I think the M- NBA is going to have the safest, best scenario where like people are freaking out about people coming in with Corona and stuff like that. But like, I think once they're in the bubble, it's so over the top that I, I don't know. I think the NBA is actually going to go the best MLB just having fans at this point. Like the NFL has more time college football, like who knows? It's a totally different matter. Um, I don't know. I just, Major League Baseball is just, they're going to do this. Like, we were so focused on just getting a season and getting 60 games and just all this kind of stuff that we just overlooked the fact that they're just like, yeah, we're having games and we're not going to go into a bubble. Like, I think that's kind of amazing. Well, the important factor here is the guy's personal responsibility to follow the protocols. We've seen this in the PGA. I I was not able to watch Brooks Kepka this past weekend at the Travelers because his caddy had had gotten uh, coronavirus by stepping out of the protocol. The, the place he went, people he met up with, uh, same thing that we had with another caddy. Once you do that, you now introduce the possibility of illness. Now, again, you're talking about guys that are asymptomatic, but it's one of those deals where right now we just have to stamp it out. Make sure, hey, take your take your three tests. Let's make sure you're negative. We'll get you right back on tour. But you cost Brooks Kepka an opportunity because now he has to wait to make sure that he's fine. That's where I think is going to be the challenge with so many of these sports. The NBA with the bubble, I think you're going to be a little bit better off. And, and by its nature, the fact that the NBA is all about being close to other people, you've got to make sure you keep that bubble clean. Mm-hmm. Baseball, you can play left field next to the center fielder and not worry about the fact that, you know, Hey, he got through and he's, he's, he's positive. It's not affecting you the same way as, Hey, I'm the center. Here's my forward. I play next to him the whole time. Uh, we call out picks to one another. We're constantly yelling at one another. That's a different matter. So the NBA really does need to have a different level of safety. Uh, but regardless, baseball is, it's going to be remains to be seen. It's played outside. Let's see if that helps up. I mean, it's going to help being outside helps. <laughs> oh, it's a huge help. It's a huge help. Yes. Um, that is something we at least do know, right? Like that's one of the few things that we're, we're pretty confident in Corona. It's like, it's significantly more difficult to transmit outside than inside. Well, if you believe what the epidemi- uh, epidemiologists say, and I think the da- the data is, um, it also just makes so- sense. Yeah, because confined environments make it easy because here it is. I'm here, you're here, and and every single time I utter some word, here's more particles in the air, and right. it just gives you a better chance. At least outside offers a little bit more safety, but you know, again, remains to be seen. Remains to be seen how this all plays out, but we are going to get positive tests, and then you got to move on and deal with them. And, and I think the big victory in all this, Chase, we've got to get a league to finish a season. That That's it. If, if we can do that, then then we've done something good this year. So I don't know if you thought about this at all yet, but when you're looking at the Braves restart, um, which Brave do you think? Is there a Brave in mind that you would be like, oh, this is concerning if he doesn't come back? Like we've seen Ian Desmond and they're going to be they're Like Zimmerman and Desmond are not great names. It's not like a just it's not like Mookie Betts just being like, I'm not coming back for the Dodgers this year. Mm-hmm. Like, is there a name like if Freeman it's like I have young kids and I'm not coming? How do you that would that, be your that would be your most place? concerning one. How do you think uh, that plays? You, you know what? I, I got a chance to talk with a, a couple of WNBA players while we were doing our radiothon today, and both I of them had brought up. It, it was it was very fascinating how they brought up. I'm I was I made the statement because I was concerned about what my teammates think, and I'm concerned about what my GM thinks and what my coaches think. And so for a guy, if it was a Freddie Freeman, I, I've said this very honestly. 
You can't question anybody. And, and the only reason these guys are releasing any information about what they're dealing with at home or their reasons why, I think that's for their organization and that's for their teammates. I, I, I don't think they're really too concerned about the fans because they haven't had any concern about the fans during this entire uh, process. Uh, to me, if it was uh, a lot of guys that have to be well off when you're playing on a one year contract, if you're Marcelo Zuna, you're here. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you are a guy who's making league minimum, chances are you're here. And the Braves got a lot of those young guys like that. If I got a pretty quality deal with two years left on it, like Freddie Freeman does, and I make that decision, you just have to put your hands up and say, okay, that that's, that's cool. It's a different kind of year. Like I said, the baseball traditionalist, has to get past tradition right now. You're playing a totally different ball game. Man, it is a dicey conversation to have where it's like Bryce Harper just being like, yeah, I'm good. Um, versus a, like you said, a Marcelo Zuna who's trying to play for that next long-term contract and he signed a one-year prove-it deal. I I don't know. Like, that's awkward to just like criticize someone for that. And like, how does Harper feel? He's like, I, I have this, for lack of a better word, privilege to just be like, yeah, I'm not going. Like, uh, I'm good. Uh, I can sit this one out. And then there are guys who just literally can't. There is a weird dichotomy between the two of them that I I wonder if that becomes a problem this year. You know, I think everyone has to just write uh, a, a little bit of uh, of this off and just say different guys are going to feel different ways. Right. And if, if, if playing baseball for $3 million for 60 games is important to you, cool. If it's not, cool. That, that's just the way it has to be. It has to be broad brushed across the board. We've spent so much time being away from one another, but also with some of the changes going on in this country, talking about listening to other people and then respecting their feelings, respecting their viewpoints. That doesn't just stop when it comes to a race relation or uh, you know how somebody feels like they're oppressed or how somebody feels that they've been made to, to be under somebody else. It also is, hey, man, I'm just a little bit scared about this or I'm concerned for my family or this and this. And the other person saying, cool, I get it. Maybe I'm not, but I get where you're coming from. That, that's that's not a bad dialogue to have. And it's not open to ridicule. And, and fortunately, I think it's been been pretty clear across the NBA, across Major League Baseball. And we'll see what happens with the NFL because it's structured differently that the teams are saying totally get it. That's fine. Uh, there's no problem with that. Let's move forward from here. Yeah, the NFL we haven't really gotten to yet. We just have Brady practicing illegally. We have, um, well, guys. you say illegally. Now we got to be clear about this. There okay. has been the they've been told, "Hey, we'd like for you guys to avoid each other." And basically, Brady has said, "Hey, I'm going to choose to disregard that." Yeah, they, like, there's no league rule against it or anything else. I think we've gotten to this weird area where people go go up. Uh, Hey, the, the, the governor said this, it's like, well, yeah, it's, it's a set of guidelines. Guidelines are not laws. Right. It's just as, just as there's no league rule against getting together with your teammates, the NFL just wants to make sure, Hey guys, don't get sick now. <laughs> like, let's get into our system, get into our bubble and, and, and then we'll figure it out from there. Right. It's just like people being surprised that college students are not abiding by these guidelines when they're 20 years old and stupid. Like it's amazing. It's, it's, a, it's amazing. Who would have ever foreseen, uh, just Laying out some broad guidelines, they would not follow that. Who would have ever thought? Well, that's that's the story of LSU right now. And I, I, I've heard people talk about how, uh, oh, it's unfortunate. Look what's happening at these colleges. Look what's happening. LSU had a situation where some kids went on down to Tigertown and a handful of them you know, basically came back positive. And the problem ends up being, and this is this is the challenge that we're going to have in football uh, and in other sports. I just think football because the, the programs are so large. There's so many mm-hmm. kids. If I get two kids that are positive, uh, one's a defensive back, one is a linebacker, then each one of those rooms and the other kids in there, I have to quarantine them too. And so that that becomes where you start talking about 30 kids uh, quarantined at LSU. Well, yeah, but there was three positives, but they had interactions with these amount of kids. This is, that's going to be the great challenge of this thing is when somebody does come up positive, and that's going to happen, who were they in contact with and what happens from there? And, and that's that's the big challenge. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I don't have the answers. Like I, I talked to some people at Tennessee last week about it and like, it seems like it's happening. Like no matter what football's happening, like they're going to make it work. Um, do I think it's going to be at full capacity anywhere? No. Based on everyone I've talked to, I don't think so. Do I think masks are going to be a part of the, just part of the game for the rest of 2020? Yes, I do. Can you imagine I, if you... I want to see how that happens. I yeah, want to see I mean, how that works. I don't know how it's going to play out, but that's that's going to be my guess, is that's what they're going to ask for. Um, can you imagine if they open up Bama-Georgia tickets where it's like, it's not just 
season ticket holders and students where they're like, we'll open up like 10% and you can just bid on it. Like the the other 10%, because I don't think anyone's going to have a full stadium this year. I don't. I don't think that's happening. But if you open I think up a little bit, I, can you imagine what the average price for the non-season ticket holder or student section ticket for Bama Georgia is this year? Like it's going to be crazy. It It won't be what happens with the, because this entire season is going to come down to, we're going to have our students, mm-hmm. we're going to have our season ticket holders, and and that's pretty much about it. Right. But if somebody want, wants to float theirs onto the <laughs> secondary market, yeah. oh my God, like I spent, and I can say this now, I don't know if my wife is listening, um, because okay. she's in the other room. <laughs> I spent $770 on a ticket to go to Notre Dame. Really? Okay. That was what the price was for me to get a single ticket, because I, I had a Where press credential. Uh, no, no, this was my wife who sat in the, uh, it was in the Georgia, well, I mean, it was the entirety of the stadium was mm-hmm. Georgia, but uh, she had end zone seats about halfway up, um, closer to the, uh, the opposite end of, of Touchdown Jesus. So okay. that's that's where she was. Uh, yeah, if you told me that Georgia, Alabama was going to be that, I think I'm going to find a way to to put together six or $700 and get in that stadium if if it's a very limited amount, but it also part of what you're paying for is the atmosphere. And yep. if we're talking 25 percent, 50 percent stadiums, uh, that's going to be a little bit of an issue. I, I don't see how uh, how they're going to be able to pull this off without a ton of planning. No. And also like <laughs> Neyland's 100 plus thousand. That's it's not oh, yeah. happening. You're not p- cramming in 100 plus thousand people inside like in, in a stadium. It's not happening this fall. Like, well, hold on. Not. Hold on, Chase. Aggie wants to do it, and Aggie's yeah. crazy. So if Aggie is able to come through with it, and they go, "Oh look, this is what we did. This is how it's going to go." But I, I think you know what you talked about the time that's yeah. involved. I think if we continue to see an explosion of cases with a mortality rate that continues to drop, it the CDC is right about what they said mm-hmm. late last week that it looks like this thing is ten times bigger than we ever thought. That now the testing is starting to show that the Southern Cal numbers and the Stanford numbers, and oh by the way, from our last time we talked, the South Korean data is now starting to actually go. Wow, math is math. It's amazing how that works everywhere. <laughs> if, if we're able to show that there are this many thousands of cases, and here's the mortality rate, especially when it comes to this group of people, I then think there's going to be pressure because money is the ultimate factor here to let's load these things up and you know what some people are going to get sick they're going to get some tests but they're not going to die suddenly it's the flu. And that's that's the mentality we're going to go to because all of us are a little bit weirder after 90 days or 120 days or 150 days of being locked in our homes. I also think it's just different like the Cal Berkeley crowd versus the Bama crowd. Like I think it's just going to be different priorities. Like I, I, not mm-hmm. that it's wrong, yeah. I just think it's going to be different. So when I explain to people that like, cause I have people on this podcast from all over the country where it's like, they ask about Atlanta and stuff like that. I'm like, it's just different. Like you got to understand, like most of Georgia is pretty rural. Like most of Georgia doesn't have a high caseload. Most of Georgia, I, I don't know. Like, I think there's a difference between SEC football and big Tim football and like Minnesota fans. Like they're going to be like, all right, I'm not going to sit in the cold. Like I'm good. I'm not going to risk it for the cold, but if you're um, if you're interested in going to Tennessee, Florida this year in week four, you're going to do it. Like, it's just a different culture. And I, it's hard to explain to people that did not grow up around here. It, it is a different culture. I will grant you that. Also, once we were able to drive down the curve, and basically once you push, push down the curve, you elongated how long this thing is going to last. People are still going to get it, pass away, all that sort of stuff. That's, that's ad nauseum. It's all said. But it's now become so political that now it's almost turned into, well, I'm going to show you I'm going to go to a football game and you can't do a damn thing about it. And that yeah. mentality permeates through the South because pretty much the rest of the college football world constantly makes fun of the South right. and, and and takes shots at it. And it's uh, that important. And uh, the, the Walmart graduates and all that sort of stuff. I, I think it's almost a giant F you back at these people by look what we did with our stadiums virus be damned y'all stay locked down y'all stay at home we'll keep the, the economy going y'all can go do your own thing that that's the weird mentality here that's hard to explain to people that there's a it, it's almost like we went american revolution mentality <laughs> before the rest of the country did i i don't even have any like way of it describing it to other people like i, I <laughs> that's the best. only way i can do it. <laughs> it it's hard though right like it's it's just hard i don't know how to do it like it's just i grip around it like it's normal to me um, you know what you know what you do it. That's what I would suggest to you because this is what happened when I moved here from Dallas. Uh, I remember talking to a guy who wanted to talk about a, a meaningless Georgia Bowl game that was coming up when the Falcons were going to play 
like the Rams in the playoffs that week. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to talk about it. He wanted to talk about it. And I go, I go, I was like, I don't know. I'll just call him Jeff. Anonymous. Jeff, why do you want to talk about this so much? And he goes, well, listen, he's like, I'm not a Laker. I'm not a cowboy. He's like, I'll never be a Dodger. He's like, but I am a bulldog. And, you know, in a lot of cases, mama was a bulldog. Daddy was a bulldog. Grandpa was a bulldog. There's an affiliation with something like that that's so important to you mm-hmm. that you don't let it go. Like, you're right. The average Cal Berkeley student goes like, oh, yeah, Golden Bears are playing. That's kind of cool. Yeah, I go there. But it's not ingrained the same way it is here. No. And, and so I think that's going to win the Heisman this year. Not yeah. not going to really move the needle. Not going to move the needle. Ball. Everyone's going to be like, oh, that's cool. Hey, what else, what else have we got going on? It's, yeah. it's just a different mentality. And that's not wrong. And that's the other thing. It's like, it's not wrong. People have different priorities in different parts of the country. That's what one of the things I like about things is that like, I can go to this area and they care about this. I can go to this area and they care about that. Like, it's interesting. It's different cultures. It's fine. Um, different cultures and diversity is good. Um, which naturally brings me back to the Braves. Um, Los. Of course. Yeah. The culture, yeah. then Braves. Man, we take some turns on this thing. Exactly. Exactly. Like, I have to go back to my notes at some point. Um, do you think the Braves, the way they're constructed, because you were talking about this in the uh, radio show today with Kincaid, that they were a very deep team? I, I believe so, because this was a roster that when we started trying to kind of get everything together, it became this. If Marcelo Zuna is playing left field, that kind of changes offensively what you're able to do. Because they had a they, they have a plethora of outfielders, and how are they going to get them all the time they need? Uh, you then also find yourself in a position of it having a very hard time getting at-bats for Austin Riley, uh, considering what else is on the roster. Well, suddenly with the DH, it has opened up this entire world for the Braves of sometimes Ender plays center. Let's move Acuna to right. Markakis gets this opportunity in the right situation. Uh, Marcelo Zuna is able to do this. Austin Riley is able to DH or play the outfield. And, and so that's when you start having the discussion of if I'm carrying 13 guys, I can see a role for all of them as far as offensive players. I believe they're going to carry 17 pitchers in this first grouping of 30. And I think you're going to have piggyback starters. I think you're going to have middle relief uh, only guys. I think you're going to have, obviously, your bullpen that you have set up where you're pretty deep in that group. This team Will Smith is— opening. Yeah, like I, I, would, I would imagine this. I would, and this is the, the, resp- the kind of the response I gave when I talked about the fifth starter last week. The fifth starter can often be passed over in any rotation in Major League Baseball, especially early in the year. Now, with 60 games in 60 days, that's not happening. Your fifth starter is going to get as many starts as your number one starter. But here's the important thing that the Braves can do that not a lot of other teams can. King Felix, go out and get me three innings. And then I'm going to follow up with Sean Newcomb for three. And now I'm turning this over to my pen. And you two guys, depending on the matchup, will always be the fifth day starter maybe it's Newcomb that starts King Felix comes behind maybe it's King Felix and Newcomb that that's the the benefit that the Braves have with this roster and with the amount of starting pitching and the amount of of guys that can play multiple positions that suddenly makes that 30 so much more dangerous as they get to 26 you're gonna lose some guys you're gonna have some pitching that'll go away you'll lose a third catcher but to open things up this thing's gonna be really deep to watch yeah so it sounds like to me that you're betting on them actually benefiting from a 60 game season versus a normal season. I, I think go better. The, the bullpen is a big help. Yeah. This bullpen with the, with the rules that came into play, the three batter minimum was already, was already going to be a big deal because there's no room in a major league bullpen for a situational one out left-hander. It, it just doesn't make sense. I, I can't get, Hey, I'm going to bring him in. You're going to get one out and then I'm going to pull you out of the game. That doesn't exist anymore. You got to get, you got to finish the inning or face three batters. That's just, just the nature of how it is. This bullpen is constructed with more guys who are capable of getting three outs in an inning than any other bullpen, in my opinion, in the national league. And, and considering that your starters, I don't think they're going to be going seven right off the start. I think they're going to be going about four, maybe five tops. So the, my bullpen, the ability for it to get out, I think is going to be huge in a 60 game season. Yeah, I could see it, and that would be good. Like, it, it, it would be weird. Do you think Braves fans, by and large, would... It, like, let's just say the Braves make it to the World Series. They count as a normal run? It it would for Braves fans, but it doesn't for everybody else, and that's yeah. what's frustrating. I am uh, I did a... I'm going to name drop on this one. Okay. So I did a, I did a Zoom um, game with Shaquille O'Neal a few weeks back, and it was me, it was John Kincaid, it was oh, home team randomly. Yes. Yeah, like so, and, and, I, yeah. I'm so just here, gonna go ahead and tell you, I have some okay. hot takes about John Kincaid. Like, I can oh. only do so much. I'm, I'm yeah, so listen. I, so I, I, I always talk with his wife about it. She's like, she can only do so much. This is just okay. kind of how it goes. <laughs> uh, and we joke around about it. I'm like, John's. As I told him, I go, 
John, it, it's fortunate the woman hasn't killed you yet. It's just kind of how he is, but he's a, he's a sweet dude at heart. So I, I, I told Shaq this. I go, Shaq, the 99 title counts because his entire thing about the Spurs that the 99 title doesn't count because it was a 50-game season, and that was perpetuated uh, – uh, you know, by by Phil Jackson and a lot of other people in that Laker organization, because the Spurs went right through the Lakers four games to none on the way to that title, and then they basically fought it out for about the next six seven years. It always came down to, you know, Shaq or or Duncan. Th- that was who was going through. Well, that is going to be the same mentality of what happens if you win a World Series. Nats fans aren't going to buy into it. Phillies fans won't. Mets fans won't. Now they'd all like to have it, but they're not going to buy it. And so it's important that if you do get one. Now you got to piggyback it. You got to get one in the next several years too to validate this one. Yeah, and also like we just we say that now, but like if your team wins, like you're not going to be like, wow, that doesn't really count. Like it's just a very dumb thing. It's a very straw man thing because ultimately, if your team wins, you're going to feel the same way you would have if you'd won after a 162 game season. Like there's you just know, no way around it. Like you're going to you feel know what the they, same. Well, you know what they say, Chase. That flag flies forever. Exactly. So there you go. It's like, hey, yes, no one's going to ask in 20 years, hey, is that the is that the 60-game season? It's like, no, no. It just says uh, World Series champs. Exactly. Like, you don't – it'll look weird when you look at the stats for that year, but, like, no one's looking at the Knicks that year and being like, oh, what was Spreewell's number? Those seem kind of low. Like, what? How did the eight – you know what we people remember about that series? Is that the Knicks were an eight seed. Like, that's what they remember. Right. Not the season was shortened. It was that the Knicks actually, like, ran the table as an eight seed because that never happens in the NBA. Like, that's what they remember. I was going into that series thinking there is no way that they can beat us. At Patrick Ewing down, yeah. they got hot. Now they're running into a team that is that. I mean, they, they, the Spurs went four one, four zero, four zero going into that that playoff or going into that NBA Finals. Lost one game in the playoffs. I was like, they're not going to lose to the Knicks, and sure no. enough, they beat them four one. That that uh that was a fun time for me, but it, it was much better when the Spurs were able to. You know, go beat a defending Detroit Pistons team. Go beat LeBron. Go beat LeBron again. That those were those were good years. Ninety nine was just kind of like the little starter of it all. The Falcons draft. You're an NFL draft guy. Thumbs up or thumbs down overall. I like. First off, um, I, I understand getting uh, Terrell in the first round. They, they, I don't. They're so they're, they're, well, go ahead and stop you right there. I don't. Well, but I'll tell you why. <laughs> I would prefer to take the best player. Like if, if yeah, you saw later. what my, you were sitting right you there. Saw, uh, guess who got him next? Uh, yeah, that was I, my I team. <laughs> exactly. I would have preferred them to, to go, go get CD Lamb. So you're I with get... me on this, by the way. Then, like, he's a better player. Like, eleven personnel of CD Lamb, Julio, and Calvin Ridley. Like, I don't know what you do. Like, if you're a defense, I don't know what you do if you send those three guys out for ninety nine percent of your play calls. The Rams do that every year with Sean McVay. That is so. Their, yeah. When I think about my eleven personnel, I'm doing the same thing. I'm like, huh. You can't defend this. Like I actually upgraded Randall Cobb. Like yes. I, I, this is what I get with Ceedee Lamb. Yeah, I would have rather picked the better player, okay, and I was an advocate for the better player. I'm, no, I'm we're we're on crazy. the same page. Yes, I just know that from the Falcon standpoint, where their deficiency is, it was much bigger at cornerback than it was, and and They're still going to be deficient. Cornerbacks as rookies are never good. No, I, I I get you, but you're also talking about not having to play street free agents or having to sign a guy who's coming off of a good for a torn Achilles. If we can have a 20 second de- defensive DVOA and like the number two offensive DVOA, uh, sign me up. Like that's fine. Like I'll do it. Like I don't care. I don't care if the defense is atrocious. The Chiefs are. Who cares what they're throwing out there on defense? Like if you have an unstoppable situation where you have Travis Kelsey and uh, Tariq Hill, where you can just target them 23 times a night, and it works go for it like this is an offensive driven league i don't care about the defense until you figure out the offense it's funny you mentioned this because i built an entire front office low segment on mm-hmm. why cd lamb should be the pick or um, any other receiver should be the pick we're on you're, the same page Liz. no your knowledge is not faulty here i would have taken cd lamb if i was in that position but i also realize it from the falcon standpoint they still believe in this I, there's a there's a business adage out there that i believe in the falcons do not i believe in you accentuate what you're good at. You yes. ignore what your negatives are. 100%. And so then the reason why you do that is because you're going to be so dominant at one other end that your negatives end up being washed out. That in business, you actually start to get problems when you stop building on your positives and you start focusing on your negatives. That Then it starts actually taking away from what you do well. That is the mentality of the Falcons. They basically said, we're good over here. Right. We're terrible over here. Let's commit to the terrible when being dominant over here might have been more productive. This is a team I feel that needs 
Yeah, no, this is a team that needs to find four points per game on average to get to the magical 28-point mark, which pretty much guarantees you're going to be a playoff team no matter how bad you are defensively. Yep. There's only been, in, in the past in the past 15 teams, to average 28 points per game, 13 of them have gone to the playoffs. The only two that did not. Yeah, Chip Kelly's team that did not care about time of possession, they just wanted to score, <laughs> and then yeah. they would be worn out at the end of the game. And last year, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers had so many turnovers that even though they averaged 28 points per game, they missed the playoffs. It's an anomaly to average 28 and not get there. And so I'm, I know the logic is sound. I'm, I'm totally fine with the logic, but I understand why they took the player they did. And, and that's, that's, that's where I, I don't fault them for that standpoint. I understand it. I just know I would have done something different. Yeah. Their draft was just about like getting their defense from 17th and defensive DVA to like 14th. And I was like, great. Doesn't move the needle. It doesn't help. Like your, like your season's going the same way. Like, what changes your season is going from eighth and offensive DVA to two. Like that's what changes your entire trajectory. Could you be a contender? Could you not like just the what if of CD lamb, Julio and Ridley. Like I just, I really think that would have been the most insane wide receiver trio in football. Again, I'm looking over and going, huh, and you have that now Dallas, with, Dallas. I, I've got it now in Dallas. I, I yeah. had a version of it last year when you know, Randall Cobb was, was pretty good for them for what they asked him to do as a third wide receiver. Now. Yeah. No, C.D. Lamb is a different kind of animal, and I'm I'm and so Amari excited to see that offense. Michael Gallup, and it's just it's awful. Yeah, it's going to be so much it's fun. And, and out of the backfield. And the crazy part is, Chase. Then I did a follow up to the the draft, and I, I I basically jumped right into it, and I said the mentality of the Falcons fans would be so different had it been C.D. Lamb, because now you feel like you have something that can't be stopped. Right, it just can't be stopped. Uh, that's different than I hope this young cornerback figures out a way to be average for me as quickly as possible because that's what young cornerbacks do. Right. The again, the thinking process is not faulty here. I I've already everything that you said. I already did it before the draft and then after the draft because I was like, this is what I would have done. But I get why they did what they did. Yeah, I don't agree. It, it was dumb. I, I just I, I do like the punter though. By the way, the punter in the seventh, I'm cool with. Sure. He's fine. Um, that's that's right. Him and him and Davidson. I'm like, oh, okay. That's 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 my draft. I, I just it wasn't very good. It, it was just not like, oh, I'm, you're saving all these jobs. That was a, this was not a draft that was saving jobs. Ceedee Lamb saved jobs. Like I really believe that Dan Quinn. If you wanted to save your job, you just take Ceedee Lamb because that I, way, I, like you know, your offense is going to be unbeatable. Like your offense is going to be crazy. That's how you save a job. I, I do think that there was there's sometimes. Um, I would just say some residual on what you did. Everybody freaked out when they took Calvin Ridley. Like, why would you take I Calvin not, Ridley? No. You know, it, <laughs> okay. To me, I go, well, that's the second best receiver I have on my board, and this mm-hmm. is right where he should go. That totally makes sense. You know, if your audience, you know, isn't aware, I do a crazy big draft board. Yes. Like, I'm an I'm a, I'm an idiot. I will do 150 players. I will do 100 players, and that's and great. I build an entire board. I spend weeks doing it. Yeah, I do it every year. So. When I say like, hey, this is a player that I like and here's a reason, typically I've watched at least 300 snaps of that player. But it was weird, the backlash of people that said, why did you just draft a wide receiver when we have Mo Sanu and we have Julio Jones? And my entire point was always, man, these guys don't play forever. They're a year or two from being moved on. And sure enough, Mo Sanu gets moved on for a second round pick. Going after another wide receiver and them saying, oh, they've used they've used first round picks on wide receivers two of the last three years. Yeah, well, Julio is now entering into 30-31. This ain't going right. to be that long. And it's also just like there could come a time where he's like, I want out. Like, you never know with these guys. Like, <laughs> Julio could just be like, yeah, I'm good. Uh, I'm done with this. He could just go full Antonio Brown. You, like, you don't know. Like, you don't know. Julio is eventually going to run to a point where it's like either the wheels fall off and the physicality just doesn't matter as much anymore. Or he's just like, you know what? I want to go on a title. So uh, I need you guys to move on for me because I'm, I'm done here. Um, that's, that's why I draft best player available on a regular absolutely. basis. It, it, I've got to marry my need with best player. And, and the need with the best player was out of whack for this thing in the first round. Well, outside of the Falcons, what was your favorite pick or favorite pick? Yeah, the Cowboys. Come on. Okay. I can't. I mean, what did you, you think you were going to No, You can't. You I can't, can't actually have that one. conversation with me. Now, I, I will say this. Did you look? Add a bunch of the reviews of their draft because for the first time in, oh, I don't know, probably like 2005, there was a marriage of perfect player, perfect uh, part of the draft. Because like Trevon Diggs never would have made sense in the first round, 17th overall to the Cowboys. He made a lot of sense at 51. Uh, Neville Gallimore 
would have never made sense in the second round at 51, but I didn't think he'd get to the third round at 82. He went there. Uh, there's so many of those players. Bradley Anae was a beast over at Utah. They got him in the fifth round. There, there was so many picks where I just went, okay, that's really good. I'm really impressed with that. And it's not just fandom because I'm also the guy who will knock a whole lot of stuff that they do. I, I just, I was, I was following along on my board going, this is what I would do. And randomly I'd go, oh, that's pretty cool. I'm glad they did that. But also the Cowboys have been a good organization for years now. Like it's funny what Will McClay has done. Will the, the this it's been a so it's just been a structural change to everything they do for everyone who's who still does the tire thing of, well, Jerry this and Jerry wants to do that. If Jerry was really in charge to the same level as let's say 10, 12 years ago, Johnny Manziel is the Dallas Cowboy. That's not the case. That'd be cool though. Johnny Manziel can't quit him. Um, He's 27 years old. Now, I, I did a segment on this too. I'm like, man, we we're supposed to get so much more out of that, weren't we? I also just like fun things. And Johnny Manziel was like the most fun college quarterback of like the last 15 years. So like it, it would be nice to have him in the NFL where like rooting for him is just like if he had worked out in Cleveland. Yeah, that would have been better. The NFL would be better if he was in the NFL and being great. That would be better because what he did to Bama and just what he did in general was insane. He was enjoyable to watch. I enjoyed spending two and a half hours with Johnny Manziel on Saturdays. Here was my number because I did a little front office low segment on this. It seems like everything in my life revolves around a segment that I have to prepare. I have to do Mm -hmm. Cam Newton at one point held the record for offense, total offense in the NFL at 4,300 and like 72 yards. His, his Heisman trophy winning season, Johnny Manziel went out and broke it by more than 800 yards. Like that's insane. The man went for over 5,100 yards of total offense, throwing the football and running the football the way he did. Uh, yeah, it was supposed to be something special and it's not, by the way, I like Baltimore's draft too. Baltimore's draft is just, they're great and they haven't missed it. They're always great. With that. Like they just, they moved on and they're, it's fine. And they're just going to be great for forever. Like, and you know what they do? They're, they're also one of those teams that says we're going to take good players from big schools, captains from big schools. And we feel like we'll do well. They're, they're draft pick just to kind of go through it. So Patrick queen from, from LSU. Then they went to Ohio state, Texas, A&M, Texas, Ohio state, Mississippi state, Michigan, and then Texas tech for their next several picks. They like, Like, they don't, they don't, yeah, they don't go into uh, Middle Tennessee State very often to go get a player. Yeah, and those guys, I mean, you, you never know. Every now and then, you might find the right guy. Uh, but most often than not, who was the, was it Gene Smith with the Jags who had this propensity for drafting no-name guys in the third and second round, like when he was the Jags, and that was like part of the reason that their talent issue became such a huge thing. It, it was it was when you would go to Tennessee Tech for players right. because you liked a guy because he was long and he was fast and you went in the third round. I'm going to snake this guy from you. And then you find out pretty quickly. Yeah, he's he's going to need a lot more seasoning than I thought. And then you run out of time with a player like that. Can you imagine if you were a team and your team drafted a Wyoming quarterback in the first round? What do you do then? Uh, that that would uh, that would scare some people. And then you got to see if Wyoming quarterback can get you to the playoffs. And, and when then it happens, that's and he that's can cool. But forward and he can uh, chase. He looked like a man being chased by bees trying to play quarterback. The Josh Allen stuff. Uh, you know, what's sad is I love Bills fans. Bills fans are fantastic. They're dedicated. They deserve all the happiness in the world. Love you, Bills fans. Now use the butt. Here's the butt. Josh <laughs> Allen sucks. And. Josh Allen, <laughs> Josh Allen is enjoyable television, but like the idea, like it made me so happy that Cam signed with um New England this week because I'm just like, okay, good. I didn't know about Stidham. Like, I'm just glad that we, we don't have that streak to keep going, that the Bills might not make the playoffs next year. Like that made me legitimately happy that that was a possibility because I can't do the Josh Allen stuff anymore. I can't. He's just, he's objectively bad. He's an objectively terrible quarterback. I've seen him have games because he had one in Arlington last year when I was watching them play the Cowboys and, and, and little Cole Beasley, the, the little squirrel went all over me. What he has to put up with where it's just like these balls. Like, have you watched some of this passes? Like just the five yard outs yeah. where it's just it's, all over it's a, it's a, it's a rocket that you don't know where it's going and, and hopefully it gets to the guy. Hopefully it doesn't. That it's was the same MO at Wyoming. anymore. I, I get it, but that was the same MO at Wyoming and, and guys that are big and strong and throw the ball like a rocket, they still go into the top 10 and he did. And, and for a team that rebuilt their offensive line, the way they did, they've drafted pretty well, knocked it out of the park with the running back as long as like, he'll get another year or two to kind of show you, yeah, I can kind of get you there, but I can't get you over the hump at that point. That's when people start asking those questions and moving on. 
Yeah, I just... You can't be the reason that you don't get moved on. You know, that that's... That's the difference for a lot of these young quarterbacks. It, the the league and teams will make a will make a concerted effort to keep giving you chances. Like, hey, is Lamar Jackson the problem? No. Okay, let's let's keep giving him chances. Patrick Mahomes is not the problem. Let's keep giving him chances. Once they find out you're not growing because of the the development of Mitchell Trubisky, that's when you get in trouble. And that's that's what Josh Allen right now he's in the he's in the good phase. You got us there. Now you got to start getting us past there for people to start getting excited for you. I just wish people people would understand that like the Blake Bortles stuff's coming with him. The Trubisky stuff's coming. Like it's 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 on the way. Like he's not gonna be the starting quarterback <laughs> of Buffalo Bills for fifteen years. Yeah, uh, you know, next year you might be able to say, Yep, I told you it was coming. But right now people are still doing the hey, he got us to the playoffs and yeah. and they ignore the defense. fact that Yeah. And, and they're ignoring the fact that that what he took with him from Wyoming is still showing up in the NFL. I just yeah, maybe I'm too addicted to PFF, but like I'm, I, I just I, I'm out on Josh Allen. I'm not a Josh Allen guy. Um, college, real quick. Um, are you increasingly concerned about UGA installing an entire new offense with Jamie Newman, Todd, um, Todd Mockerman? Um, are are you at all concerned that they have not had the time to install an entirely different offense, and that Kirby is going to be like, ah, we're gonna we're gonna ease our way into the Todd Monken offense. We're we're not gonna go full shotgun from the goal line in uh, week two. Are you at all concerned there? That's my primary concern. Uh, th- I believe this offense will look different by the time we get into mid October, November. But considering that you have almost more talent than anyone else in all of college football, you have three schools that are at that blue chip level, Ohio state, Alabama, and Georgia. Those are the only ones above 80% of their roster of four and five star athletes. That's, that's the excellent note that Bud Elliott provides us every year. Um, you have more talent to walk into most stadiums and just win by, I'm going to run the football and I'm going to run basic offense. And I, I am concerned that with the lack of an install period and the way they've had to do things, that's the way it's going to have to be early on in the year. I, I think that's legitimate. I'm not worried about the offensive line. The defense is going to be great again. It's just going to be a matter of how much variety does Kirby Smart allow to have within that offense early on in the year. If I were to say that Tennessee had a better shot of winning the SEC East this year than Florida, what would you say? I would just giggle at you. Would you? I'd, I'd say that you're completely when you silly. When are you ready for Tennessee? Um, you know that's, that's where I'll be this fall. The fun part about it is this. So Tennessee, uh, everybody gets very excited about where their recruiting class is. Right. Uh, again, did a, did a segment right on this. That, for yeah. Uh, the, the, here's the problem, though. They continue to sign. It's all about numbers. Mm-hmm. Tennessee has numbers right now as far as commitments. The overall average of athlete by the time this thing is said and done, it's probably going to put them right about where they've been, anywhere from between 10 and 14. They'll, you know, might have might break the top 10 class. Typically, the average score, composite score from 24-7 is going to give them about the 11th or 14th best uh, best class in the country. You don't catch Georgia with the 12th, 13th, 14th best class in the country. Uh, the same thing with Florida. Florida, you don't catch Georgia without more five stars. And you have two on your roster, and one of them you got from Georgia. It, it's the Talent is so much. As much as people want to say, hey, it's the Jimmys and the Joes, yeah, that's a factor. But when you have overwhelming talent – it starts to wear you down. It's the reason why every year we get all excited about Ohio State playing Michigan, and Michigan looks like they get worn out in the second half. It's because, again, 60% of their roster is four and five star, 84% of Ohio State's four and five star. They just start beating on you, and it's just kind of how it ends up getting played. And and until you can match that talent, you tend to get the same results. Mm. I know, I know. It's it's a tough pill to swallow. Tennessee has natural challenges because of of all the successful coaches now they have sewn up the borders it used to be that phil fulmer could come right into atlanta and grab a jamal lewis or i'll I'll take eric barry and and he would just he'd go cherry pick what he wanted that doesn't happen anymore when nick saban is sewing up you know his region ed ogeron is sewing up louisiana when tennessee is a good football team and not, not just good when they're elite when they are competing every single year their roster was littered from kids across the South and into California. Mm. And, and that's, that's very well, that's difficult to do Martin. right now. That's how you get them. Exactly. That's, that's not the same kind of roster you have right now. Cause it's not as easy to go into Louisiana and beat Ogeron on his turf. It's even hard to go into Texas right now and out recruit Jimbo Fisher, who keeps putting together top five classes. That's, that's what's really going to be the test for Jeremy Pruitt. You got to be able to go into those States because there's not enough D one elite prospects to fill the university of Tennessee out of the state of Tennessee. You got to go regional. 
And can you beat these other coaches on the recruiting trail? That's how you end up catching them. I wouldn't rule it out. They're building a nice little infrastructure. They're, I think Tennessee's in the best place they've been in like a decade. Yeah, totally agree. Uh, Jeremy Pruitt does have it going in the right direction. It's just a matter of when do you hit the ceiling? Is, is the ceiling going to be competing for the SEC championship? Is it going to be competing for national championship? Or is it, hey, the way things are constructed right now, we're nine or ten wins every year, and that's kind of where we're at. Yeah, I don't know. I really don't. I, I tend to lean that way right now. Until those classes can can become a, another level of talent, you're you're just kind of you're you know what you're doing. You're waiting for the transcendent player. Well, they you're might waiting have for the Harrison Bailey. Again, you'd have to see. We're, you're oh, waiting on the transcendent player, Marietta. He's a good he's a good player. It, but we're talking we're talking like uh, when we talk Cam Newton, he's the transcendent player. Right. Vince Young is the transcendent player. Uh, Deshaun Watson Harrison was the transcendent player. Lawrence. Okay, but that's what they would need yeah. in order to combine solid talent with the transcendent player. That that's sure. the level you have to have in order to overcome what a lot of these other teams are going to be doing regularly in recruiting. Who wins the SEC West this year, and why is it Texas A&M? <laughs> it does actually set up well for them to be better. This is it. I, I like, think this is their shot. Like Bama's down for a little bit, maybe because they have to figure out the Mac Jones stuff. LSU is down. Like if Texas A&M is going to break through, they have a veteran quarterback. Like, they have a stack, just a, a very stacked roster. Like, this is it. Like, this is their moment, I feel like. This has to be the step forward year for them because right. Uh, you're right. There's Kellen Mond. You now have recruited uh, at least three classes of the types of players that should help you beat these sort of teams. Right. I, I think the problem that starts happening with AM, uh, I, I wonder about what the identity of, of the whole thing is right now because – to me, they just seem outside of that crazy overtime game from two years ago at LSU. It's like, what is their signature win under Jimbo in the conference right now? I, I don't think they really have one. And so this has to be the year that you knock off a few of these teams where you handle Auburn, go out there and get them. You, you beat LSU. It's your year. They had the super team last year. They're rebuilding. You've got to go ahead and get it. The, the, the thing I keep going back to with, with Alabama and why it's chalk, you just say it's Alabama, it's Georgia, let's figure it out. At any point, Alabama can choose to go back to ground and pound football. And they're better at it than anybody. <laughs> and so if, if you're concerned about Mac Jones, well, it's similar to what's going on at Georgia. They're good enough to beat you by just handing the ball off 35 times a game and playing defense. It's, it's a different kind of deal. And so that's, that's where I think there's, these other teams have more hoops to jump through than Alabama does because of their talent. But there's possibilities. A- A&M has a possibility. LSU has a possibility. And obviously Alabama is, is Alabama. Yeah, I mean, if I had to bet on it, it'd be Alabama winning the SEC this year. Like that. that if, if, it's if it's your mortgage, you would say, here's what it is. This is what I think just because of who they are. I also just, I want to say an A&M so bad. I really do. I want them to break through. It just for something different. Like I would like to see something different in the West. It would just be interesting to see how they, how they stack up and like just A&M breaking through. That'd be cool. I, I like Chase. Let, let me let me point something out to you here. And I, I hate to interrupt you on this, but I think this is an important note and it's, it's good for your career and it's good for your future. I want this moment to stick with you. Okay. So two years ago, I bet Buck Ballou a mustache. Mm. I, I told him the 49ers are coming. This is the year they're going to go better than seven, and nine. He says, so eight and eight are better. I go, yes, that's what's going to happen. And I go, and I'll bet you a mustache because I thought that man will look ridiculous with a big old crazy looking, you know, uh, caterpillar on his face. By Thanksgiving, Jimmy G had gone down and I'm growing a mustache. <laughs> now, I was a year too early. Right. I, I, I thought they were coming. And of course, they go to the Super Bowl the next guy. You know, I'm I'm like you. OK, we share this. Yes. I'm looking at all the situations around the league and there's somewhere I go. I like that one. I like what they're doing. I think it's going to break through. I think now's the time. It's the same thing with AM, except they're not delivering to us like Kyle Shanahan because yeah. every year it's, it's, hey, this is the year they're going to break through. And then they pull the football out from us. And we're all hoping because everything else is there. They got a coach, they got a quarterback, they spend crazy amounts of money. There's no problem with support. They're supposed to break through, yet they don't. And so that's where if you don't watch it, you're going to end up at Thanksgiving with a crazy looking mustache. I'm telling you. So there you have it. Um, Tennessee versus Texas A&M <laughs> in the SEC title game from Carlos Medina. You heard it here first. Front, uh, you can add him at front office Los. That uh, he he has Tennessee versus Texas A&M in the SEC title game this year. Yeah, not not so much. Not no, so much. That's no, fine. Not, not no, at all. It's fine. We're just gonna go chalk. It's Alabama Georgia until somebody shows me otherwise. God, that would suck. That would really suck. 
That would really suck, Carlos. It's it's boring, but it's what it is. These but teams honestly, can... you know what? If they do a situation where Mac Jones plays in the first half and gets pulled, then Bryce Young comes in the second half and beats Georgia and SC top again, then then it's okay. Then I'm okay. It's not like I haven't seen that done before. It, see, it, I would, it would enjoy just... that. That will never get old. That is something that I will enjoy for the rest of my life. I, I get that, that you would go, wow, that it, it happened again to them. At some point, it won't happen. But until it does, Angry you haven't Kirby had that experience either. thing for me. <laughs> Angry is Kirby is, is uh, I put it this way, I've, I've heard enough stories. I've also heard stories about Happy Kirby, and that guy's pretty cool, too. There you go. Play both sides of the fence, Lois. Um, last thing, we'll go. Um, do you think Pop should be in Orlando? Do you want your coach Pop coaching on the sidelines in Disney World in a few yeah. weeks? I'm uh, I'm very much like this, similar to what we were talking about when we were just kind of catching up. The issue you run into with all of this stuff, we need to have people free to make good decisions and bad decisions. And if Coach Pop says, hey, I'm not comfortable, obviously I'm an advanced age, this is going to be for 20 games, and I don't know if we're going to make the playoffs, you know, I'm, I'm going to sit this thing out. I think that's excellent. Okay, cool. Coach, not a problem. If he wants to be part of it, even though there are elevated risk factors, Cool. That's fine. That's your decision. Decision. I think the only thing we get in trouble with is that we're starting to realize the the negative effects of taking away choice from people that are normally able to make it, and it starts to mess with their heads. And when you tell them what they're doing, we're not meant to be that way. It, yeah. There's a reason why you have free will and the ability to, to to live in this country the way you do. We've seen the adverse effects of it, and so uh, if Pop wants to be in it, cool. If he doesn't, cool. Either way, it's a it's a it's a your call. And and to me. There might not be a safer place in the world to be in than in Orlando because of all the testing and everything else. And so that's a consideration, too. Yeah. Well, it'll be interesting to see. But also Tim Duncan roaming the sidelines for San Antonio. Um, kind of, I'm kind of dug it. I dug it when I got to see it for one game. I was like, all right, yeah. there's, there's Timmy with a W. That works for me. That would be cool. Because um, I'm not winning the title anyway. So who cares? Just, just <laughs> There we go. Los, I appreciate the time as always, sir. Um, great to catch up. Uh, what can we check out from you this week on 680? I know you're co-hosting uh, this, is, this week. Yeah, this is this is hell week for me because Buck Baloo is out. Chuck Oliver is out. So I'm actually co-hosting from noon to seven. And so this is that one week where if you're not into me, you're really not going to be into me this week. If you are, well, then cool. We're going to have a good time and I'm always going to be available. And so yeah, uh, we'll, we'll obviously be doing every show from noon to seven. I'll be doing Chuck and Churn off as well as Buck and Kincaid. And then after this week, I'm pretty much going to find the biggest bottle of vodka and go sit in the basement. So that's, that's pretty much the plan. Well, if you want to call me for five minutes to talk about Luca versus Trey, <laughs> I, I'm more than willing to talk about how that was the worst trade in uh, uh, history. Uh, suddenly we're going to turn it into a Dallas radio show because that's all I ever hear my friends do over there. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're right. Those are called right people. Um, <laughs> Those are called right people. Carlos, thank you so much. I appreciate it. And we will talk soon, sir. All right, Chase. Have a good one, man. Always appreciate it. This has been Ingram, radio voice of the Atlanta Braves. And I'm here to tell you that you've reached the end of today's episode of the Chase Thomas podcast. As a friend of the podcast, I'd like to say thank you for listening to today's episode and hope you return for the next one. To show your support for the program, tell a friend or coworker or even a family member about the program. And if you're an Apple Podcast listener, leave the show a rating and a review. It goes a long way. That'll do it for me. But don't forget to listen to myself and the rest of the team at 680 The Fan and the Braves Radio Network this season. Go Braves! Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.